When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com slash app. Tonight on The Readout. Companies called Dominion voting. Several days ago, Dominion came under heavy fire after allegations that their machines caused thousands of votes in one Michigan county to be switched from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Sydney, we talked about the Dominion software. I know that there were voting irregularities. Tell me about that. That's to put it mildly. Well, that's what they were saying on the air. But when the cameras were off, those same Fox hosts we're calling election fraud claims BS because on Fox, it is all a performance. They knew Trump lost, but continued to lie to their audience to keep their MAGA viewers happy. Also tonight, the real Giuliani, although some called him America's mayor, there were disturbing signs long before he came Trump's lawyer that he was willing to do or say anything to get rich and grab another moment in the spotlight. Plus, Senator John Fetterman's battle with clinical depression and how things have changed since another senator caused a firestorm with his own revelation a half century earlier. But we begin tonight with some tough love for Fox News viewers. You, you might want to record this and send it to your MAGA hat wearing parents or uncles, because frankly, they deserve to know. OK, ready? Here it is. You need to know that most of what you hear on Fox News, especially about the 2020 election, is a lie. The hosts that you love and whose every word you hang on likely don't believe a single thing they're saying to you. In fact, according to the legal brief released by Dominion, the voting machine company that is suing Fox News for $1.6 billion for lying about them, every major Fox News talk show host is only pretending to support Donald Trump and faking that they believe the 2020 election was stolen from him. And they are lying to you for the most obvious reason of all, which Dominion calls out on page 35 of their blockbuster filing, in which they quote an email from Ron Mitchell, the vice president of primetime programming and analytics at Fox, who emailed his bosses, the president of Fox News and the CEO, nearly two weeks after the election, on November 18, 2020, saying, quote, viewers are watching less. And he suggested a solution, quote, do not ever give viewers a reason to turn us off. Why were viewers turning them off? Here was Fox News on election night. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden. That is a big get. Fox News was the first network to call Arizona a key battleground state for Joe Biden. Behind the scenes, the entirely accurate call triggered a collective freakout at the Trump White House and throughout Fox News. According to Dominion's filing, the senior vice president and managing editor of Fox's Washington bureau, Bill Salmon, received an angry text from a member of Trump's team claiming it was way too soon to be calling Arizona. Minutes later, Salmon received a similarly angry phone call from White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Fox was so concerned 
that senior executives discussed the backlash the following morning during their daily editorial meeting. The trifecta of professional Trump apologists, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingraham, were equally livid. Carlson wrote his producer, Alex Pfeiffer, on November 5th. We worked really hard to build what we have. Those efforts are destroying our credibility. It enrages me. He added, what Trump's good at is destroying things. He's the undisputed world champion of that. He could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. In another text to his producer, he added, do the executives understand how much credibility and trust we've lost with our audience? We're playing with fire for real. An alternative like Newsmax could be devastating to us. You see that? Tucker didn't care about the facts. What he cared about were things like the company's stock price and keeping Trump's fan base tuning in. And frankly, he wasn't wrong to be concerned. They're actually chanting, Fox News sucks. Fox News sucks. The reason why they're chanting that is because Fox News called Arizona uh, for Biden yesterday. And a lot of people are angry about that. And here is what Newsmax, which Carlson specifically called out as a threat to Fox's dominance with conservative viewers. Here's what they were saying at the around the same time. You do have to keep in mind, as you said, Tom, we're not calling it here at Newsmax. I'm highly skeptical and you should be, too. There are allegations of dead people voting. President elect Joe Biden. I don't think so. I just don't think so. It doesn't look right. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. And it's not right. It just doesn't feel right. Now, back in New York, Fox made a decision to stop telling the truth and start indulging the lies. According to Media Matters, in a two week period after the election, Fox questioned the results or pushed conspiracy theories nearly 800 times. And here is what that looked like. The Dominion software system has been tagged as one allegedly capable of flipping votes. And don't forget, still serious questions about the integrity of Dominion. All I know is Democrats, the media, and Republicans prior to this election agreed. Dominion is calling all of the allegations that you and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis have made uh, absurd. Your response? Well, it's almost laughable. They've closed up their offices and moved elsewhere. Now, of course, none of that was true. And every significant person at Fox News knew it. And now here's the part where I let you in on the behind the scenes of this job. Whether you're doing a show like this one or the Fox News primetime shows that have more of an editorial voice or a straight news show, a big part of this job is breaking bad news to your viewers, uncomfortable news. And there are definitely potential costs to that. But that actually is our job. What you just heard were anchors at Fox choosing to promote the big lie because they are afraid that if they don't, their audience will leave them for an outlet that's even further to the wild kooky right. These hosts and their bosses, frankly, do not have enough respect for their viewers to simply just tell them the truth about the results of an election and trust that they are mature enough to handle it. Even though privately in their emails and in Hannity, Ingram and Tucker's group chat, they were more than eager to share the truth about how ridiculous they knew that those stolen election claims and the people pushing them were. In private, Tucker Carlson called the claims ludicrous and totally off the rails. Sean Hannity called Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell effing lunatics. Dana Perino called it nuts. A producer for Lou Dobbs 
who was fired, by the way, called it complete BS. Maria Bartiromo called one of Sidney Powell's emails kooky. And Rupert Murdoch, the man in charge, the boss, called Rudy Giuliani's claims really crazy stuff and damaging. At one point, Tucker, old Tuckums, told Laura Ingram in their group chat, Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. Ingraham responded, Sydney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. Another time, Fox executive Bill Salmon commented on Fox coverage of supposed election fraud. Supposed election fraud. He used the word supposed. To Chris Starwall, one of the people who made Fox's accurate election night call for Arizona and then lost his job because of it. In that email, Salmon wrote, quote, it's remarkable how weak ratings make good journalists do bad things. And yet they kept airing these false claims and hosting these kooks day after day, even as Dominion sent Fox literally 3,682 emails in real time, asking, pleading, demanding that Fox stop spreading lies about their company. Fox's corporate representative confirmed that those emails were widely circulated within the company. And yet, They persisted. And the culmination of those lies was the violent assault on our nation's capital by people who believed that Fox News is the news. Hours after the assault, Tucker Carlson called Donald Trump. He called him a demonic force, a destroyer. The disrespect for Fox viewers is so thorough that those lies continue to this day. Just look at what Tucker was doing just last night. Hours, just hours after he and his employer were exposed. There are so many unanswered questions, some of them lingering. How, for example, did senile hermit Joe Biden get 15 million more votes than his former boss, rock star crowd surfer Barack Obama? Results like that would seem to defy the laws of known physics and qualify instead as a miracle. Was the 2020 election a miracle? Honestly, we don't know. We don't expect to get an answer to it tonight. Joining me now is Charles Blow, New York Times columnist and MSNBC political analyst, and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large of The Bulwark and an MSNBC contributor. I mean, and Charlie, maybe the reason Tucker Carlson has that, like, credulous look on his face all the time is because he really doesn't believe it. This is a guy who called for the firing of a of a reporter at Fox, a, a, a straight-news reporter named Jackie Heinrich, who correctly fact-checked a tweet, right. I think it was by Lou Dobbs, fact-checking it that mentioned Dominion. He texts Sean Hannity, please get her fired. Seriously, what the F? The stock price is down. Not a joke. Maybe that's why he has that look. Uh, this, this, this idea that they need to respect the audience by lying to them. Your thoughts, Charlie? Um, no, I mean, obviously, uh, he despises the audience. He's willing to lie to the audience for for ratings. Look, I mean, this filing is an arsenal full of smoking guns. But I'm really glad you highlighted that particular moment because, you know, that is such a tell that you had a reporter that tried to do a fact check. And Tucker Carlson, who knew that it was all lies and had been lying to his audience and 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 you know afraid to tell the audience the truth tries to get her fired look um this threat is an existential i'm sorry this lawsuit is an existential threat to fox news and it ought to be and certainly exposes uh, what we thought we knew but uh, the the as i wrote this morning it is unpeeling an onion of hypocrisy and duplicity and bad journalistic practice and i think they're going to pay big for this do, do, well, do you think they're going to pay big for it? Because the thing is, Charles, there is a thing Good where money. 
Well, in, in money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. Right. But, but with the yeah. audience, right, they're like the parent that lets you eat cookies for dinner. Right. I mean, their audience exactly. likes it because they're telling them what they want to hear. The hard job in news is to say, you know what? Your guy lost. You know, even if you don't like that fact, that's right. a job. And they are literally saying, well, we can't do that. They'll watch Newsmax instead of us. Well, that's exactly yeah. right. You have it exactly right there. I mean, this is audience capture. They are afraid of their audience and they despise their audience. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt Charles since we're both Charles. No, go here, ahead. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Charlie and Charles. Okay, Charles. <laughs> so what, I think one of the things we have to d- delineate here is is the thing that Fox likes to mix up, which is there's no such thing as fake news. If something's not True is not news. This, right. The same can be said for journalists, right? If you're not performing journalism and, and instead of performing propaganda, you're not, in fact, a journalist. But they like to mix that up. Not everything on Fox News is false. And that becomes the Trojan horse for the things that are false, right? Because if you mix in a few shows that are straight news that kind of try to tell it down the middle, it actually disguises the things that are in fact false. They're in fact conspiracy theories. And people think, look at it and say the inverse of what they say in courtrooms. I I hear one line in the courtroom. I say, oh, everything that the person said is now called into question. In music works the exact opposite way, which is that they hear some things that are true and they say, well, some of these other things must also be true because that other thing that they said was true. And so they make, they, they are very clever about mixing in some things that may be true in an avalanche of things that are suspect or maybe false. And it gets their, their viewers who want to believe the things that support their biases to believe in those things. And so they are, so what you're seeing in those text messages are exactly that. And massive effort at manipulation, unethical in every possible way, but they know it works and their viewers want to believe it. Yeah, and the right. thing is, you know, I think about, Charlie, you know, yeah. sort of how Rush Limbaugh kind of changed the entire game in terms of the way that the right receives information and news. He had that golden microphone and everything he said, he presented it as this is not only news, but it's the news that the fake news is not telling you. Right. Fox does it somewhat differently. Right. Like Tucker Carlson, like, looks quizzical and says, I'm just asking questions and, and, and puts it that way. But he's channeling things that he is ridiculing in emails. There is, I was fascinated by their group chat. The group chat that he and Laura Ingraham and, and Hannity have and, and these conversations. One of the things that was talked about was Sidney Powell had a source. She had a source for her supposed, you know, knowledge that the election was stolen. That is a person that said that they get this information. There it is. Before her number, number eight appearance okay. on Maria Bartiromo's show, she cited evidence provided from a person that described herself as internally decapitated, capable of time travel in a semi-conscious state and who speaks to the wind. They are mocking this woman behind the scenes and then putting her on their shows and saying, we're just asking questions. Yes, because she was useful to them because they wanted to create a safe space for their audience. And I think this is the point to keep need, need to keep coming back to. This is what the audience wanted. This is what the audience demanded. This was part of the culture that Rush Limbaugh created was to create an alternative reality that would always reaffirm um, your your priors. 
and would insulate you from anything that was uncomfortable. And so after the election, people like Tucker Carlson and the other executives of Fox realized that if they told people the truth about the election, they would lose listeners. They would lose ratings. They would lose stock, uh, uh, you know, uh, stock price. Um, they would uh, they would be at a competitive disadvantage to the Newsmaxes and the OANs of the world. So they decided to put people like Sidney Powell on to yeah. spread the lie. And what's interesting is is, is how it is all laid out in these court filings in just spectacular, granular detail. It, it is it's a fascinating read. If you, if you have the time, it is worth reading it. It's about 120 pages. It's, it's fascinating. And Charles, the thing is, by the time January 6th happened, have you trained your audience to believe that the news has told you right. the election was stolen? Because that's important. These this 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 platform is powerful. If you allow someone to lie on your platform or you just make up things and say you're saying it with the imprimatur of a news voice. And so they do that. They get all the way to January 6th. Then they're frantically texting Trump's family saying, please make him stand down and won't put him on the air. Trump tries to call into Lou Dobbs, who's one of the people who started this with Maria Bartiromo, et cetera. And then they won't put him on the air. Right. And so you have and they're 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 mad at people like Neil Cavuto, who's in the background and Brett Baer, who are and they're, the other his colleagues are getting mad at them. But they themselves wouldn't put Trump on the air by January 6th because they saw physically on the TV what they had done. Exactly. And they knew how, how dangerous it was. But. There are a lot. There's a lot of collateral damage in Fox Wake here in in the service of profit, not not just the the company in the main, but also each one of those uh, anchors is making a ridiculous amount of money doing precisely what they are doing, and and that has blinded everyone to any sort of journalism ethics. I mean, I don't know. Every news organization has some sort of ethical handbook. They vary slightly, but they they overlap a tremendous amount. And people like me with yeah. the journalism school, you have to take classes, journalism ethics. This violates every single piece of that, all for the sake of making money. And also, I will just add this one last thing. I, I just love how you keep calling her Laura Ingraham. I must have just, <laughs> and that must be shade. Ain't that her name? <laughs> that was field. Um, and I will say one last thing as well. The idea that not just the boss of Fox News, the, the president of Fox News, but that the guy who, who owns News Corp is weighing in on the editorial and that they are making a collective decision what the voice of the whole network will be. That's terrifying for anyone who's ever worked in the news business. And that does not happen. I've worked at more than one news operation. That ain't how that's supposed to work. They are not supposed to be telling them what to say on the air. If you're watching Fox, maybe you want to be fooled and you enjoy it. But just understand that what they're doing, they don't even believe it. And they might be laughing at you behind the scenes. Charles Blow and Charlie Sykes, yeah. thank you very much. And thank, thank you, you for hate watching Laura Ingraham if you're out there. <laughs> Coming up, there is still more to talk about about the Dominion lawsuit, including the potential legal, legal ramifications for Fox News. Charlie Sykes affirmed that they might be paying big money. We'll discuss when the readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. 
That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. If you're a Trump voter and you suspect that this election was stolen, was rigged, you're onto something. And it's the tech companies, above all, that did it. The Dominion software system has been tagged as one allegedly capable of flipping votes. The Dominion software, I know that there were voting irregularities. Tell me about that. That's to put it mildly. Now, it should come as no surprise to you that the overwhelming support for the big lie and the 2020 election conspiracy theories coming from Fox News hosts has been nothing but a performance for their audience. BS to keep them from going somewhere else to get their fix. But was it defamation? The nearly 200 page brief released by Dominion Voting System shows that Fox not only repeatedly promoted these false claims, but they did so knowing it was all a lie. And while such admissions probably won't cost them any viewers, because let's face it, they are getting the lies they want to hear. The defamation lawsuit filed by Dominion is asking for an eye-popping $1.6 billion in damages. In an amended counterclaim filed yesterday, attorneys for Fox News claim that this is nothing more than an assault on the First Amendment. They write, quote, Fox News Network did what any responsible media outlet would do and what the First Amendment gave it the right to do, report on the biggest story of the day and present newsmaking interviews with the newsmakers themselves. To our knowledge, they did not include a winking, smiley face emoji. Joining me now is Jessica Levinson, professor at Loyola Law School and an MSNBC columnist. Jessica, thank you. and Welcome to the show. Um, The First Amendment uh, reply. What do you make of it? I'm so glad you led with that because I actually teach the First Amendment. And one of the things we talk about is one of the purposes of the First Amendment is to have a marketplace of ideas where you have this robust exchange of a variety of ideas. People disagree. People fight about it. And then the truth rises to the top. And part of how that can happen is actually to get the disinformation, the lies out of the marketplace to prove why they're wrong. And one of the tools we have to do that is defamation law. So when people say, you know, defamation law threatens the First Amendment, actually, I would say it supports one of the reasons behind the First Amendment. Let's think about the other reasons behind the First Amendment. One is self-governance. If we are to truly be an informed electorate, then we need real information to hold our representatives accountable. And so this idea that we're chilling speech, I would say, no, it's the opposite of that allowing us to have an ecosystem where we just flourish in disinformation, that's not supporting our key purposes behind the First Amendment. So in the lawsuit, um, Dominion is is asking for summary judgment, which I'm going to ask you to explain in a moment. They want summary judgment right now. But they're also saying, based on falsity, actual proven falsity, about these major claims. Number one, that they had a software installed in their machines to flip votes. Number two, that they were technically owned by a company called Smartmatic, which they're not owned by, and that they were founded by a Venezuelan company to help steal the election for Hugo Chavez, who was dead. Um, and then number three, that they were giving bribes, essentially, to politicians who would allow them to steal the election. All of these things were provably false. And they sent 3,600 plus emails telling Fox News and all the various shows that were doing these various segments about these things on the shows that they were lies. 
Is it enough to have been told by the company that you're talking about that these aren't true for that to be defamation? Or is all of the internal snarking about how crazy these claims were enough to prove that they were defamatory? They knew it was wrong and they said it anyway. So that's the key. And you just really actually stated the legal standard here, which is when we're talking about public figures or public groups and there's a claim of defamation, you don't just need to show that something is false, that you uttered something false that could harm something, somebody's reputation. But what you also need to show is that it was made with the requisite state of mind. What's that state of mind here? It's that you know it's false or you recklessly disregard the falsity. And frankly, I think that's why this is one of these really rare but strong First Amendment cases, because you have a lot of information and you just brought some of it up and you know some of it came out in the filings that indicates, in fact, they did know about the falsity of the statement. There was an awareness and they went forward with it anyway. I know they're trying to claim this was just a newsworthy matter and we're just informing the public. There is some limited protection when it comes to newsworthiness, but you can't wrap yourself in the First Amendment if you know that you're publishing false statements and that it could harm somebody's reputation. I mean, the reality is nothing would be more newsworthy than if a voting machine company had the ability to take votes and flip them. I remember there was chatter about this in 2000. There were, you know, from Democrats who were worried that that was happening in Florida. There was no news organization saying, yeah, that happened. There was mostly debunking of that so that people understood that the things that went wrong in Florida had nothing to do with that. This is unprecedented for an entire news organization from the owner of the company that owns them, the, you know, from Rupert Murdoch on down to affirmatively assert something they could have Googled and knew was false. It's pretty amazing. Jessica Levinson, thank you very much. This case is fascinating. Still ahead, a new documentary series from MSNBC Films takes us inside Rudy Giuliani's rise to power in New York City and his stunning fall from grace as Trump's number one legal lackey. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. On a bright winter day, former federal prosecutor Rudolph Giuliani was inaugurated as the 107th mayor of New York. His son Andrew by his side, he exhorted New Yorkers to help him make dramatic changes. The era of fear has had a long enough reign. The period of doubt has run its course. That was a clip from the MSNBC Films documentary, When the Truth Isn't Truth, the Rudy Giuliani story, which apparently includes clips of me talking about the former New York mayor. The film details how Giuliani was elected after taking part in direct 
unabashed racism. Now, in case you don't remember, the 1992 riots in New York City were some of the biggest in history, with as many as 10,000 demonstrators blocking traffic, destroying private property, and assaulting reporters and bystanders, according to the Cato Institute. And those demonstrators weren't just any New Yorkers. They were nearly all white, off-duty New York City police officers demonstrating against New York's first black mayor, David Dinkins, who had called for a civilian complaint review board to oversee the police in response to police brutality claims. Not only was the crowd violent, but it was virulently racist with officers chanting the N-word. And where was Rudy? Right in the center of the mayhem, egging on the crowd. Rudy, for all the nice words, very quickly seems to have made the decision to embrace the sort of uh, racism that a lot of his party believed in. The reason the morale of the police department of the city of New York is so low is one reason and one reason alone, David Deacon! So in case anyone was surprised by the Giuliani, the Giuliani that appeared during the Trump era, you shouldn't have been. He was never America's mayor. He was always the mayor of the 1992 police riots. And as the documentary points out, it's really not hard to see a difference between the mostly white police officers storming New York City Hall and the ones who stormed the Capitol. This has always been who Rudy is. Joining me now is Reverend Al Sharpton, who's featured prominently in the documentary. He's president of the National Action Network and host of Politics Nation. I just find ways to hang out with you every day, Big Brother Rev, because we were just together in Tallahassee. But, you know, let's talk about Rudy, because that's the Rudy Giuliani I knew. And the Rudy Giuliani that emerged on on, um, 9-11 was to, to be the opposite of the one that I, as a young New Yorker, was used to. The Rudy Giuliani leading that essentially police race riot that how did that, which was the one that most black New Yorkers understood, how did that one never become a national, nationally known thing? Well, not only did uh, Rudy Giuliani lead the 92 riot, a race riot uh, of police off duty uh, that stormed City Hall with the first black mayor and blaming him for all kinds of things uh, and, and really in many ways using white fear. Uh, he was the mayor that way for eight years. He was the mayor that Amadou Diallo shot at 41 times and, and, and hit 19, was killed. Wouldn't even meet with black leadership, wouldn't even talk about it. The riot that you talked about, Joy, was around civilians have the right to complain about bad policing. So right. if you look at Rudy Giuliani, it was really the playbook that Donald Trump took national, white fear, uh, birtherism, uh, Obama's not really one of us, race-tinged hysteria. And that's who Rudy Giuliani was. And I think that when 9-11 happened and he rose to the occasion because there was no one standing there, he ended up back to the Rudy he was, which we saw with steroids under the Trump era. He is the Rudy that we see now is the Rudy he always was. He just had power in New York for eight years to really do some of the worst damage to uh, police accountability and racial kind of coming together that we had had uh, when D- David Dinkins tried to govern with the gorgeous mosaic that we all could try to make the city work. 
You know, and what's interesting, I mean, yeah, I, when I think of Rudy Giuliani, I think of Patrick Dorismont, where he said, well, he's no altar boy. He was literally an altar boy. This was a guy who was killed by uh, off-duty plainclothes police. Like you said, the Amadou Diallo situation, the, the situation with um, the situation with Abner Luima, where he wouldn't even visit Luima in the hospital after he was beaten and sodomized by police um, who, who, you know, it turned out they never said it's Giuliani time. But Giuliani time became a thing we talked about. On 9-11, you, you said this on Morning Joe, and I think it's important, so I would love for you to talk about it again. What Giuliani did on 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 9-11, first of all, he was just doing his job as mayor, but he also seemed to see in it an opportunity for himself to shine shortly thereafter. And he definitely used that. He used it to try to run for president. He used 9-11 uh, for Rudy. It was never a cause of restoring anything for anyone other than Rudy. It was narcissism at his best. And that's why when he got the glory, he became who he was. It was only giving Clegg lights to the character of who he was. And he used that to propel himself uh, in national politics, ran for uh, president and uh, failed miserably. And in many ways, uh, he became the forerunner of Donald Trump. Donald Trump was educated in how yeah. to deal with racial politics by Rudy Giuliani, who had also yeah. questioned the uh, race for mayor when he ran the first time and lost against Dave Dinkins. Same tactics we saw in Trump, including January 6th, as you properly put, was really a replay of the police uh, riot. This was Rudy's playbook, and that's why I think this documentary is important. Yeah, I think he got one electoral vote when he ran for, for president. And, and then I guess when you come into now the modern era where he's Trump's lawyer, I guess the one thing that that, that did surprise me, as, as well as he knew Donald Trump, is that he— never got paid. He never thought, I need to get paid by this guy up front. He knew exactly who Donald Trump was. And then he humiliated himself. This is a former prosecutor. He was a, he was a federal prosecutor. And then he just became a complete joke. Were you surprised at what a weak lawyer he turned out to be? I, I was surprised that he had no shame. I mean, to have a press conference saying it was going to be at the Four Seasons and it's at a landscape place. I mean, it's like, have you no shame? And it showed how low he would go to try to just raise his profile and remain relevant. It's really tragic unless you understand Patrick Dorisman, Amadou Diallo, Abner Louima, and then you understand that there was no shame in him. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, thank you very much, my friend. Much appreciated. OK, when truth isn't truth, the Rudy Giuliani story begins this Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern right here on MSNBC and is streaming on Peacock. And still ahead, how Senator John Fetterman's candidness about his clinical depression is helping normalize conversations about mental health. We'll be right back. As we learn more about Senator John Fetterman's battle with clinical depression, some of us are reminded that disclosing one's mental health issues used to be a career killer in politics. That was the case for Senator Thomas Eagleton, a Missouri Democrat and a vice presidential nominee and the vice presidential nominee in 1972. He's the one you see on the left with George McGovern celebrating their candidacy for VP and president at the Democratic National Convention. Eagleton, the public would later learn, had been hospitalized three times for depression and underwent electroshock therapy during two of the stays. Here he is addressing the public about the backlash. I've read the headlines in the morning papers, and so I know it is of, of significance, of, of far greater significance than I had originally thought. As I view myself, uh, being a healthy person, uh, I thought it was... Uh, 
satisfactory to be a healthy person to run on that ticket. Eagleton left the race 18 days after the revelations about his mental health. And joining me now is former U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer, who, along with Senator Dianne Feinstein, was elected to the U.S. Senate from California in 1992. And Rick Wilson, former Republican strategist and co-founder of the Lincoln Project. Thank you both for being here. And Senator Boxer, I do want to start with you because, you know, the, the history of this is that, you know, Mr. Eagleton and Senator Eagleton wasn't the first person that had had mental health issues. He was just the first to disclose it. He was sort of forced out uh, because it was going to come out before. But but there was this kind of idea in politics um, back in those days when there weren't a lot of women in politics, but the men in politics had to be a certain kind of macho, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you had Ed Muskie who had snow on his face and, you know, it was like literally snowflake tears and he was sort of driven out of politics as if he was some sort of horrible candidate for allegedly crying. You know, it, it, it things have changed though. What do you make of the fact that now Currently, what Fetterman is going through is really evoking empathy, at least from people who aren't uh, on Fox News. <laughs> yes. Well, it's a big change. And it, it, it's really interesting because 1972 was the year that McGovern turned on him and threw him off the ticket after saying he'd be behind him a thousand percent. I remember it because guess what? I was running for my first race ever in local government. I lost that one. It was the only one. And I think this thing had a lot to do with it. Uh, It was just God awful. And I was just so shocked when Eagleton was kicked off the ticket, particularly after McGovern said what he did. Just bringing it to 1996, and this I'll be very quick on this, but I think it's important. We had two members of the Senate, Paul Wellstone and Pete Domenici, a Republican, a Democrat, had family members with severe mental issues. They teamed up and we passed the Mental Health Parity Act, which forced the insurance companies to cover mental health just as they did physical health. And now John Fetterman just being open about this. It's it's amazing, frankly. It's yeah. good. It's you you know, look at all of it, the bad and the good. OK, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and Rick, the thing about Fetterman that I that I like, I will admit that I openly like I like him as a candidate because he's such an everyman. You know, I mean, what percentage of, you know, men over 50 have AFib? A lot. <laughs> OK. And he kind of was like leaned into it. And was like, I'm gonna be honest about this. He had a, he had a stroke. He's recovering. He's honest sure. about his recovery. He's honest about his dress code, the way he dresses. He's just a regular guy. Do you think that this winds up falling into that bucket or, or, or and can he withstand or will he end up getting attacked as somebody you know, who's who's been maybe too honest about his health issues and now this mental health piece? Or do you think that actually builds a brand that I think is already pretty strong about, you know, being relatable in terms of his challenges? Yeah, I think this is a story that millions of Americans relate to and understand. I think it's a story that 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 hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Pennsylvanians relate to and understand. He had a stroke. He is now suffering from the consequences of that and and working through the physical and then the, and the challenges and the depression that often follows, according to a lot of medical experts in this case. And and look, we don't have many people in in our public lives today who are willing to say, this is what's, what I really am. They want you to see a carefully curated image. This is a guy who is for all, you know, he warts and all, you know, he's yeah. a he's a guy who wears shorts in the snow. I don't love it, but he, he's, he's got his own <laughs> stuff. But his bravery, I'm a Florida guy, that, that thought may horrifies <laughs> me, but his bravery in doing this was greeted by a meaningful percentage, not every single one. I will be, I, I did see a few yeah. Republicans, a few MAGA types who were like wishing him a good recovery, no snark, no whatever. But yeah. 
Our politics in this country is cruel and horrible yeah. and ugly a lot of the time. It's very high contact. It's very it's very high energy. And the fact that this guy knew that this would happen, he knew what would happen, but he told the truth about it. And you know what? I've lost friends who committed suicide, who suffered from undiagnosed depression, or who tried to ignore it or get through it over, over my almost 60 years of life now. And if one person goes, okay— Fetterman can do it. He can go out and put himself out there. He's a public figure. He needed help. He got help. And if one person, if one person in Pennsylvania says, hey, you know what? I need help. Or if one spouse says to their their husband or wife, hey, go out. You you need help. Go see somebody. Fetterman did it. You can too. It's not going to kill you. But the the depression, sure. So I think it was a bold move. I really do. And, and, yeah. And the reaction to it has been about as you know, the Fox News reaction to it is like, why is he even in the Senate? The the, the yeah. cruelty is the point, but I yeah. think he really set a good example this week for folks. I agree. I agree. I think he's very brave, and we all wish him well. Now, on, on another note, it's it, another thing that people really deal with in the real world, Senator. I do want to ask you about this because this is your former colleague, Diane Feinstein, because we also know that you know in aging there are lots of sort of ranges of the way that people age, um, and some people can be exactly the same age as Diane Feinstein or be the age of Joe Biden and be very effectual. I mean, Joe Biden's very, been very effective president. His age has not held him back at all. But in Diane Feinstein's case, there is a sense that. She she may be more diminished, and it does appear that she is now going to stand down. Uh, wh- what do you make of the sort of push for her to go? Um, do you think mm-hmm. it is the right thing to do for her to finish her, her her political career? And then what do you make of the coming food fight over that seat? <laughs> okay, that's a lot. Um, first <laughs> of all, I think it's the best thing for Senator Feinstein to to take this work and this burden off her shoulders. I did that job for 24 years in the Senate, 10 years in the House, six years in local government. She has had a fantastic career, and she showed that women can do this job, even if we have personal tragedies in our life or political tragedies, like she oversaw the assassination of a very popular uh, mayor in San Francisco. She worked hard to get the assault weapons ban done for 10 years. She deserves to have a few years to relax. And I've told her yeah. for years now, Diane, it's it's wonderful afterwards. People want to hear your story. You could still be out there. So that's how I feel about it. So I think yeah. that's the right thing for her. In terms of the food fight, it will be a food fight. And yeah. I have to tell you, I had a tough one as well. And it's okay, you know, as long as everybody doesn't turn on the other person from the same party. That I don't abide by. And I told them all, they all called me, keep it straightforward on the issues, why you're the best. So I'm excited for California. It's been a long time since we've had that. Absolutely. And we have very little time left, but I'm going to give this one to you, Rick Wilson. Uh, Kamala Harris in Europe representing the U.S. Do you feel that the administration has used her enough? I feel like she is an asset that maybe they could use more. I I think whatever the weird chemistry is between the VP's office and the rest of the White House, she is an an underutilized asset. And a lot of this sort of hesitation about her, like, why isn't she doing more? Is it's like a self-reinforcing problem. If she was doing more, they'd be using her for more. Uh, yeah. it just uh, it's a tough it's a tough spot. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. And I would like to see more of her uh, this year. Let's see if that happens. Barbara and Rick are sticking around because it is almost time to play our favorite game. Who won the week? And that is next. TGIF fam, which means it's time to play our favorite game. 
There's the music. Who won the week? Back with me are former Senator Barbara Boxer and Rick Wilson. I'm going to start with you, Rick Wilson. Who won the week? I think the Fetterman family won the week. John and Giselle both had to display an awful lot of courage to do this yeah. and to put their lives out like this. I think they really were a good moral example for the for the week. Amen. Amen. Senator Boxer, who won the week? Reverend Sharpton in Florida stood up to a power hungry governor in a state where truth goes to die. I was in Florida in 1950. I saw an elderly black woman have to walk to the back of the bus. We cannot wipe out history. Good for you, Al Sharpton, for continuing to be that voice of truth. Well, I actually, we are alike on this one, Senator. My choice is Florida. I often criticize my former state that I used to live in, but Florida fought back this week. I'm so proud of you, Florida, for standing up to your governor and his attempts to wipe out history. Former Senator Barbara Boxer and Rick Wilson, thank you. That is tonight's readout. Keep fighting, Florida. When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. New developments in the legal drama surrounding former President Donald Trump. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts. Lots of news of all kinds going on right now. And the latest updates on the 2024 election. The rematch is on. It's Trump-Biden part two. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com app.